Welcome to the Corona of Thorns. I'm Father Peter Zwans, and today is Thursday of the 12th week in Ordinary Time. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit. To prepare ourselves, let us acknowledge our sins. I confess to Almighty God and and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. Grant, O Lord, that we may always revere and love your holy name. For you never deprive of your guidance those you set firm on the foundation of your love. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. A reading from the second book of the Kings. Jehoiakim was 18 years old when he came to the throne and he reigned for three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Nehushta, daughter of Elnathan, from Jerusalem. He did what is displeasing to the Lord, just as his father had done. At that time, the troops of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched on Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon himself, came to attack the city while his troops were besieging it. Then Jehoiakim, king of Judah, surrendered to the king of Babylon. He, his mother, his officers, his nobles, and his eunuchs, and the king of Babylon, took them prisoner. This was in the eighth year of King Nebuchadnezzar. The latter carried off all the treasures of the temple of the Lord, and the treasures of the royal palace, and broke up all the golden furnishings that Solomon, king of Israel, had made for the sanctuary of the Lord as the Lord had foretold. He carried off old Jerusalem into exile. All the nobles and the notables, 10,000 of these, were exiled, with the blacksmiths and the metal workers. Only the poorest people in the country were left behind. He deported Jehoiakim to Babylon, as also the king's mother, his eunuchs, and the nobility of the country. He made them all leave Jerusalem for exile in Babylon. All the men of distinction, 7,000 of them, the blacksmiths and the metalworkers, 1,000 of them, all of the men capable of bearing arms, were led into exile in Babylon by the king of Babylon. The king of Babylon made Mataniah, Jehoiakim's uncle, king in succession to him, and changed his name to Zedekiah. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. For the glory of your name, O Lord, deliver us. 
For the glory of your name, O Lord, deliver us. O God, the nations have invaded your land. They have profaned your holy temple. They have made Jerusalem a heap of ruins. They have handed over the bodies of your servants as food to feed the birds of heaven and the flesh of your faithful to the beasts of the earth. For the glory of your name, O Lord, deliver us. They have poured out blood like water in Jerusalem, leaving no one to bury the dead. We have become the taunt of our neighbours, the mockery and scorn of those who surround us. How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? How long will your anger burn like fire? For the glory of your name, O Lord, deliver us. Do not hold the guilt of our fathers against us. Let your compassion hasten to meet us, for we are in the depths of distress. For the glory of your name, O Lord, deliver us. O God our Saviour, come to our help. Come for the sake of glory in your name. O Lord our God, forgive us our sins. Rescue us for the sake of your name. For the glory of your name, O Lord, deliver us. Alleluia, alleluia. All who love me will keep my words, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, It is not those who say to me, Lord, Lord, who will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the person who does the will of my Father in heaven. When the day comes, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, work many miracles in your name? Then I shall tell them to their faces, I have never known you. Away from me, you evil men. Therefore, everyone who listens to these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house on rock. Rain came down, floods rose, gales blew, and hurled themselves against that house, and it did not fall. It was founded on rock. But everyone who listens to these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a stupid man who built his house on sand. Rain came down. Floods rose, gales blew, and struck that house, and it fell. And what a fall it had. Jesus had now finished what he wanted to say, and his teaching made a deep impression on the people, because he taught them with authority, and not like their own scribes. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So after the brief interruption of the birth of John the Baptist, we're, we're back with the Sermon on the Mount. And gee, aren't we back with a vengeance? It's the last little bit of the Sermon on the Mount. The Lord Jesus here, he's, he's at his best. It's not those who say to me, Lord, Lord, who will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the person who does the will of my Father in heaven. Goodness, doesn't the Lord know us well? That that's... So much a danger for us. It's, it's such a tendency that we can look at everything that Jesus teaches and, and admire so much the ideals and, and you know, want to make those ideals our own and, and agree with them with all of our hearts and yet 
allow a gap to form between what we think of what Jesus says and what we do. Now, I think we might be tempted to read these final words of the Sermon on the Mount and imagine that Jesus is talking about unbelievers, those who listened to these words of Jesus, but then rejected it. They're the ones who built their houses on sand. But, you know, the first little part of today's gospel speaks of those who call him Lord, Lord. Now, they're certainly the ones who acknowledge the lordship of Jesus, but who don't put into practice what he says. Now, that sounds like a believer. I mean, the sheer fact of calling him Lord would indicate that he's placed himself in the position of being a disciple, but but not the kind of disciple who actually follows, but the one who just simply kids himself into thinking that he does. Which means that this gospel could well be directed exactly at us. So what's going on in the minds of, of such disciples? And like, <laughs> I'll put myself in this category, right? I, I think I know this one pretty well from the inside. What's going on in the mind? We hear the word of Jesus. We're inspired by it. We know it's the way to go. But we hesitate. Maybe, maybe it's hard. Maybe it involves giving up something that is going to be hard to let go of. Maybe it involves some kind of repentance, which is going to ask of me some kind of sacrifice or effort. Maybe it means that I need to let go of some particular grudge or offer some forgiveness that I'm reluctant to give. But whatever it is, there's some kind of circumstance that I think is entirely unique and, and forms an exception to the rule that Jesus proposes. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Yes, Lord, but this particular person, in my case, that's not the one that I ought to love because this one is this one's a proper enemy. And and you mean like the other kind, right? Love your teachings, Lord. But this case is the exception to the rule. Love the turn the other cheek bit, Lord. But you don't know how hard this one actually hit me first. So surely you don't mean me to offer him the other as well. But what are we doing in those circumstances? We're, we're actually standing in judgment on the gospel. And, you know, absolutely, we need our consciences in order to be able to translate the language of the scriptures into our everyday life. But we mustn't become the judge over the gospel. But which bits apply to me and which bits aren't relevant? You know, which bits can I pick from? Which bits can I leave behind? You know, we, we, we can't simply treat the gospel like it's a smorgasbord because then we actually fall into that problem of saying, well, you know what, Lord, Lord, I'm all for you, but, you know, except for this bit, because, you know, I'm the one who decides what bits from the buffet appear on my plate. I'm the one who ultimately is the final measure of the gospel. 
If that's my attitude, then it becomes impossible for something new to break into my life. Because I'll filter it out. This isn't mine. This isn't what I want. This isn't what suits me. And therefore, I become one who, you know, says, Lord, Lord. But what of Jesus' words do I actually put into practice? What of Jesus' words do I actually allow to shape my life? Or is anything that calls me to be different going to be filtered out because I'm holding a strainer between Jesus and me? Now, why do we do this? Is it a lack of faith? Yeah, a bit. I mean, if, if I really did believe when I said, Lord, Lord, then I'd, I'd let him be Lord and, you know, Lord of my life. So, yeah, okay, fine. There's, there's, there's a bit of a lack of faith in there. But I think at the heart of it is probably fear. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that the gospel is going to cost me something. That I'm, I'm going to end up with less. Things are going to potentially get worse worse for me if I really allow the word of God to find a place in my heart. So, you know, I need to do a bit of an act of self-defense. And I think that's what that filtering is about, to defend ourselves from the cost of discipleship, because it could well be that I end up with less rather than more. So what does Jesus say to that? Exactly this. Everyone who listens to these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house on rock. Rain came down, floods rose, gales blew, and hurled themselves against that house, and it did not fall. It was founded on rock. What has the word of God come to do? To set us on a strong foundation. To allow us not to be overcome by rains, floods, and gales. The Word of God isn't there to take anything away from us. It's there to build us up, to protect us, to make us solid in the midst of the storm. It's not there to cause us to collapse. It's not there to take anything away from us. Quite the opposite. At the heart of it is the question, do you really think God is there to stick it to you? Does he want you to flourish or does he want you to fall? And maybe somewhere in, you know, our hearts, our hearts that still belong to the first Adam and the first Eve, we we kind of wonder, like, does God really want me to be fully alive? Does God really want my life to truly flourish or or? Does the full flourishing of my life actually exist outside of what God wants me to do? What happens if the best bits or the hard bits of the gospel get left out? Well, here's the Lord's answer to that. Well, everyone who listens to these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a stupid man who built his house on sand. Rain came down, floods rose, gales blew and struck that house and it fell. 
I think the gospel today invites us into a deeper trust. To cast aside our fears and to rest in the love of Christ. To know that what he wants for us and and where his word directs us is the full flourishing of our life. And even though it feels like we need to die to certain aspects of our lives or, or take up a cross, to be his disciples is to come to the resurrection, to the fullness of life. And even if the resurrection passes by way of the cross, it's worth it because it's the fullness of life. Anyone who puts down the cross and decides that it's better for me to stay where I am right here, will be like the foolish man who builds his house on sand. At the Saviour's command, and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy, we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Let us welcome Christ into our hearts with an act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. And we finish by praying Pope Francis's prayer to Mary during the coronavirus pandemic. O Mary, you shine continuously on our journey as a sign of salvation and hope. We entrust ourselves to you, health of the sick. At the foot of the cross, you participated in Jesus' pain with steadfast faith. You, salvation of the Roman people, know what we need. We are certain that you will provide, so that as you did in Cana of Galilee, joy and feasting might return after this moment of trial. Help us, Mother of Divine Love, to conform ourselves to the Father's will and to do what Jesus tells us. He who took our sufferings upon himself and bore our sorrows to bring us through the cross to the joy of the resurrection. Amen. We seek refuge under your protection, O Holy Mother of God. Do not despise our pleas, we who are put to the test, and deliver us from every danger, 
O glorious and blessed Virgin. Amen. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.